Hello, welcome. This is the September 2020 podcast of the American Journal of Public Health. The special section in this month's issue provides a public health perspective on rural America. The idea was first proposed by guest editor Wendy Brown, who was then center director and associate dean at Pitt University and had been formerly state health officer for Wyoming. Wendy and Associate Editor Paul Irwin, now Dean of the Alabama School of Public Health at Birmingham, prepared a call for papers, for which we received 69 submissions, out of which 16 were successfully reviewed and published. The overall message emanating from these contributions is paradoxically optimistic and timely. Is rural America sinking? Or is it America's public health life buoy? My four guests are... Hi, good morning. Shanti Salin. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Public Health and in the Department of Environmental Health Sciences. At the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Wendy Braun. I'm the COVID-19 response director for the Pennsylvania Department of Health. Hi, I'm Michael Mee. I'm the Director of Research and Programs for the East Tennessee State University Center for Rural Health Research. My name is Eduardo Sanchez. I serve as the Chief Medical Officer for Prevention at the American Heart Association. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. You come from all those places, Texas, Tennessee, Alabama, Pennsylvania. Someone was also in Wyoming. That's uh, really exciting. And I want to ask you, what is rural America, actually? We often speak of uh, rural America. What is it? Where is it? So I'll jump in. Rural America is almost everywhere in this country. It's only 20% of the population, but it covers 75 to 80% of the landmass in this country, which is really mind-boggling. And as far as the demographics, rural Americans are predominantly older lower educated and white, but there is actually quite a bit of heterogeneity, um, you know, in the demographics of rural America, particularly in different parts of the country, such as the uh, Southeast and Southwest. Thank you. Anyone else wants to chime in about uh, rural America? I would just say that only 20% should be, and it is 20%. It's a huge number. It's 60 million people spread out, as Wendy is saying, throughout the United States and who have a health demographic or a health profile that's not as healthy as that of non-rural America and for whom the resources available to address those health issues are not commensurate with the burden of disease and the challenge of disease. Yeah, that's right. And I I think if there were any other population that comprised 20% of the U.S. population that faced the kinds of inequities that rural populations face, there would be a much larger call to action. But I think it's because rural America is spread out and is diverse 
that often gets lost. The things that I think is important to point out is that dis despite the diversity of rural America, there is a common thread that, that really does lead to those inequities. Then that, that is geography. It is isolation, it is distance, it is access. And what's interesting about that to me is that cuts across race and ethnicity. So rural white people are less healthy than non-rural white people, rural black people are less healthy than non-rural black people, Hispanic, Asian, any population that you can think of. And what's interesting about that is that there is also a dual disparity. So that when you also look at those parts of the country that are predominantly rural minority, they have the dual impact of racial and ethnic disparities and geographic disparities. And there we see the worst health outcomes in the nation. But why are you? Yeah, please. I was just also going to add that rural America really plays is a significant driver in terms of our economic health. There's lots of farming, manufacturing that happens in these areas. If we didn't have rural America, we wouldn't be eating. Um, there, there's so many things that happen in these particular places. And so the health of rural America is incredibly important. And we need to recognize that. But so it seems that rural America is essential, but at the same time, we have the impression it's disappearing, it's mistreated, it's, it's misestimated. So what's going on? It's I, both, right? It's both things. It is important, but when we look at what's happening from a population density perspective, it's going down um, and <clears throat> it's going down in the wrong way. So young people are leaving and not staying. And you have an older population, which puts a different burden on communities. So I think it's, it's both. And again, I think one of the things we have to be careful not to do is allow the, our generalizations, and I'm a generalizer, to speak for everything that's not true in all of all communities. But in general, the population is aging and young people don't stay because there isn't, it's not perceived as a place where there's economic opportunity. And I think that's an important point, though. It's young people don't stay because there's not economic opportunity. I think that's right. The flip side of that is that if there were economic opportunity, more young people would stay. They have their families, their friends, their history. It's not I, I think there is this rural myth that rural youth want to leave and go to the city. I'm sure that's true for some people, but many of them would like to stay if the opportunities were there. And certainly one of the things that we see is that even among those rural youth that do leave, many of them come back at some point in their lives because they are connected to place. But do we have evidence that uh, the youth uh, leave rural America by force and uh, in reality would prefer to stay? I, I think we've certainly done a lot of uh, qualitative work that shows that. We've had a lot of those discussions uh, in communities all over the country. I did work for Robert Wood Johnson, where we had many of those types of discussions. And, and I think it goes back to Eduardo's point. I think that when youth pursue education and opportunity, they want something productive to do with that education. And if that isn't available in their home community, they have to look elsewhere. And even educational opportunities are, are often not available in their home communities. We have this 
desperate need for rural, rural-based clinicians of, of many different types of, of specialties. And, and, and there aren't very many opportunities to gain those skills in rural areas or pursue higher education um, in general. Yeah, and as we're talking about these migration patterns and people moving in and out, I think there's something to be said, though, about aging in place and having connectedness to one's community. So we are seeing people, as you said, Eduardo, moving back to where they're from or or places that are are geographical areas that are smaller and may not have as much um, to do. But there's, there's something about that I think that we need to explore further. Why are people wanting that connectedness? What does that really mean? What does that look like? What are they seeking and doing that? And so and that's something that I'm interested in is just why are people coming back to particular places and, and what does that really mean? Um, and what does that gain? What, is that, what kind of leverage does that provide the actual area itself when, when people do that? And, and how can we facilitate that? Because a lot, of, a lot of rural communities, there aren't sidewalks. You can't walk to the grocery store. You don't live, you don't have close community. Your, your neighbors don't live close by. And so those factors that really enable people and draw people to, to want to age in place don't necessarily, ex- don't generally exist in rural communities. And so thinking about as we work to reinvigorate uh, rural America, how can we create, create those physical and, and, and social supports in those communities? So if I summarize what's been said, what is uh, rural uh, America? It's actually uh, 60 million people. They they cover almost all the the area, uh, the land of the country, uh, maybe uh, 60-75%. They are crucial because they produce our energy, our food. Most importantly, if it's been aging and losing population, rural America, if I hear you, is not doomed. Uh, to continue that way. And uh, it's actually possible to uh, reinvigorate and uh, valorize what uh, rural America is. So how, how do we address those social determinants of health and, and those other aspects? Because there is this reality after all. We need to start with addressing the lack of public health infrastructure in rural America. Because it, public health, it can really address those social determinants with other partners, of course, but there are large, lots of communities that don't have a public health presence. And so there are other social service entities or community groups that serve in those functions. But if all rural communities had access to public health professionals and expertise who could assist them in addressing, in addressing the issues that plague these communities, that would really be helpful. But that takes a lot of resources and it takes personnel and that requires training. And so that's a, it's a really big undertaking, but this pandemic that we're in has really revealed the paucity of public health infrastructure in this country. And it's just imperative to address that. So that's certainly one piece of it. Yeah, and, and I agree. And, and I think doing that in partnership, like Wendy said, is really key. And I think it's across sectors, but I think one sector that we really have to focus more on, and I don't know that we've done this well in public health, is working with our economic development partners. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, until we lift up 
the rural economies. Uh, that is the greatest social determinant that I think leads to the outcomes that we see. Until we lift up those economies, I don't know that we're going to see health improve in turn. And I will add, I, I, I think we need to approach um, this issue using an equity frame. And rather than um, uh, a complete, con continually under-resource the effort, because it is, whether we're talking about education, employment opportunity, economic opportunity, healthcare infrastructure, until we decide that what we are going to do is resource for outcome as opposed to resource for um, patting ourselves on the back, we won't get where we need to get because it costs more money to do stuff in places where you don't have the density of of services, of partners, of, of, of economic base to get it done. One of the things that I'm sure everyone here knows, the tax base in most, maybe not all, rural communities is um, lower than the tax base in urban places. So you have a lower tax base and less money to work with. It doesn't take a genius to figure out you can only get so far. So I think an equity model is very important to address public health, to address economic development, to address education, to address access to capital, and to address health care and health care systems. I, I have to echo what you, you just said, Eduardo. There is the equity framework is so important, but I also think a conversation, a real true authentic conversation around systems that have been in place for so long that have really led to this disinvestment and, and this lack of what we're seeing in rural America is important. So talking about indigenous groups and treaties that have not been adequately done and we need to talk about land loss and and how that's happened to people and how folks have really they've really been screwed in, in in a lot of ways in terms of systems that have not worked well for rural america and not having that conversation as a part of the economic conversation the educational conversation the public health infrastructure conversation they're just these kind of disparate talks and to get at kind of root causes, I think is really important as we're having this conversation. Yeah, and I'll throw in what, what may be a bit of an elephant in the room. One of the challenges that I think public health has had in addressing these issues is the politics of rural America. We do have a population that is skeptical of government, that has had one party take them for granted and the other party ignore them. They feel like they've been left behind because they've been ignored. All of that has welled up into the political landscape that we have today. And I think that both parties thrive by dividing people into categories and rural urban is one of those categories. And they have been slotted on the side of that that is not seen as positive by the public health community in general. And I think that's something we also need to recognize. And I think that if we are a field that is truly sincere about our interest in equity, we need to recognize that we can't leave people behind, whether we agree with them or not. And I think by engaging with people, we bring them to the table and we actually start to build those paths to bring people together. And I think that's really how we have to move forward.
So I, I'm challenging the idea that rural public health is an exception because I think public health has been underestimated, under-evaluated globally in this country. And we see this with the response to COVID-19, where public health is the only thing that works. Social distances, protection, contact tracing, vaccine, is, it's a public health mean. Isn't, shouldn't we see rural public health as part of a global revamping and re-evaluation of public health in the country. Yeah, so I agree with you, but it's not an either or. You, you can have both situations. So you're right. Public health as a whole has been dramatically underfunded, and, and that has led to a lot of the challenges that we see, and it has not put us in a good position to respond to the challenges at hand. Even so, when we analyze data looking at rural public health agencies, they have fewer staff per capita. They have less local funding available. They have less state funding available. They're more dependent as a result on federal flow-through dollars that, that they have less flexibility over. So there's still an inequity between the rural and non-rural health departments, even within a field that is, as a whole, underfunded and underappreciated. I'll just add, I, I completely agree with what Michael is saying. I do think that there is an opportunity for reckoning, and that reckoning needs to be a public health system that is not as fragmented as our public health system is, and a public health system that affords everyone, at the very least, a, a level, a threshold level of protection and services being delivered. All right. So let me take you to the uh, last point, because I know you, you're all enthusiast about rural America and rural public health. Clearly, you're not depressed and you think that uh, there's a whole future there. So let's imagine if we were revigorating rural America and rural public health, what would be the benefit for the country? Since they produce our food, they produce our energy, what in terms of climate change action? And what about the quality of our food? What about the quality and the beauty of our environment? Can you tell me what would be the overall consequences of revamping, reinvigorating rural public health? I think one thing is it would start to attract the population base back. We have seen with COVID-19 that people are working from home now and there and you can do fitness activities online and we've vastly expanded telehealth resources and the ability to pay for it. And so if we can capitalize on those fundamental different ways of doing things and solve the broadband issue, then, you know, then, then rural communities become communities where folks can work and, and play and exercise in a way that they, they can't currently. And we know the benefit of getting outside and being physically active. And there are all sorts of opportunities for that kind of thing in rural communities. And, and I would actually say also, and, and I think it's the big potential irony in all of this is that I, I think our rural communities are innovation hubs, and I think people don't think of them that way. In rural communities, people come together to solve problems. They do it naturally across sectors because everybody is stretched and everybody knows one another. 
and they do it with little bit little resource because there's nobody pumping money into them. So they're creatively thinking about ways to solve their problems and they come up with these innovative solutions. And if we could find a way to capture those and export them and share them with urban and rural communities around the country, I really think that our rural communities can be our leaders to show us paths forward on how to solve our public health issues. Yeah, I would I would say that as well. I, I don't know if I think there's vigor in life and energy already in rural communities. So reinvigoration is a slight misnomer because that stuff is happening, but doing it in complement with what we know as public health practitioners and clinicians and bringing and really harnessing that strength together, I honestly think is how rural America is going, is going to look different. And, and hopefully again, health of all of us because rural America's health is important to everybody's health. If we're thinking about that in that way, we're, we're going to be okay. Shantis, this is a great conclusion. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your great work for rural American rural public health. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, hasn't this panel discussion cheered you up? Rural America has been declining for years, losing on the demographic, economic, and public health battlefields. But it is huge and at least has lots to offer for key issues that we will be tackling during the COVID-19 public health recovery. Rural America may be even holding the keys to some of the most challenging and intricate questions related to sustainable development, clean energy, food and nutrition safety and security, environmental protection, universal access to care and education, and more. I fully join Shantise when she says that rural America's health is important to everybody's health. I'm grateful to all the members of the panel for their time and willingness to share their ideas. I also thank Emily D'Agostino and Michael Costanza for comments and edits on an earlier version of the podcast. Francis Jacob was inspired by the podcast to imagine rural America saying to all of us, lean on me. Francis plays the guitar and yours truly the harmonica. This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese, visit us at ajph.org or subscribe to it on your usual podcast app. A full transcript of the podcast is available on our website for persons with hearing disability. That's it. Thank you for listening.